0: getting healthy isn't nearly as hard as we all have been sold and I just want to give people that freedom that you don't have to bang your head against the wall to get healthy conditioned ourselves to believe our body is a math equation and it's super simple and this is a complex being and so weight loss or I should say fat is actually a survival mechanism for your body. And so before it can drop that off, it needs to literally feel safe and repair and do all the things internally before it's even willing to drop the weight. Wish that as a society, we were willing to embrace feeling good because that should be enough reason to move in to that direction. But like, I find that we always expect the other shoe to drop, we know, We just don't want to fully embrace that feeling good is enough, but like joy is the way. It's so corny, it's so trite, it's so woo, but guess what? It's also so freaking true. So we do a lot of smart goals in the workplace, but we never do it with our health. And how do you know where you're going if you don't have goals and metrics to track where you're going?
1: Welcome to the Improvement Nerds Podcast, where we host conversations about the things that nerd us out with one goal in mind, sharing best practices and sharing techniques and tools that allow us to make lasting change. In each episode, we'll feature a different idea and hopefully through that episode, give you a set of new tools, new skills, and new thinking that'll allow you to change how you do your work, how you lead others, and how you show up in your life. We're so excited that you've chosen to nerd out with us. We hope that these episodes are exactly the things that you need to hear in order to get started in making the improvements that you want to see happen in the world. If these episodes speak to you, please subscribe to our podcast, like what we're doing, and leave a comment.
0: To outrun our way to it, and it's like, you no, know, you are this holistic being that has to manage your stress, that has to sleep, that has to, yes, move, but also has to... Eat well and be fulfilled. Like I have a wheel that I look at all the time for what I think makes holistic health. And I, I believe it's food, stress, movement, community, purpose, and spirituality. That makes a whole person. That's why I feel like there's so many avenues to being well. Because if you're seen at work, if you're seen in a community, you can start to see yourself and then want to take care of yourself. And that's what I think health does. I mean, that's why I'm so passionate about it. Because when you eat well, when you move well, when you sleep well, you start to feel good and you start to... And I always say, like, hear the message. Like, if you have a muddied muddied funnel, like a muddied channel, you can't hear the call. You just can't. But when you start to take care of yourself, start to embrace this body that you were put here in, then you're able to open up and hear your next step so that you can continue to take the journey towards your path.
1: Margaret Mead said it best when she shared that one should never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, that it was the only thing that ever had. I couldn't agree more. Let's get busy, Improvement Nerds. we got a lot of work to do. Hey, Improvement Nerds. This is Tom. I'm back with another episode of the Improvement Nerds podcast. Today, I have a special guest with me who's going to nerd out on a very broad topic, but Uh, Lots of juicy stuff within it. So, Erica Ballard is joining me. She's the founder of the B Method, which is an approach for high performers uh, to guide to achieving wellness. So, how I met Erica was first um, I had like a LinkedIn crush on her video content that she was creating. So, my wife and I committed to um, getting back to mental and physical wellness this year, and The journey is long and arduous, and there's a lot of challenges in it. And on the days, it seemed like those days where I just wanted to throw in the towel and not run that day, like somehow Erica Ballard's videos found their way into my stream. And it's like she was talking specifically to me to get my butt out the door. And I was like, man, I I should probably meet this person and like learn more about them. And then one of my friends, like no later, maybe two, three days after that, I I had that thought. Uh, Abby Cook connected Erica and I and in our planning session the two of us just got really nerdy we have tons in common and I think um, we share you know this passion for helping others you know move forward and have a lot of energy to do whatever fills their cup and I think we go through that we achieve that in very different ways but uh, nonetheless I think Uh, We're both committed to helping people rise to their highest potential. So, so excited you're here with us today, Erica. Welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much. What a lovely introduction. I'm like, can you enter me into all mornings that I have? (laughs) I love that story. And um, (laughs) thank you for having me here.
1: I'll just follow you around and do introductions for you.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Perfect.
1: All right, where are we going? What's your so? What's your like noon or one o'clock look like today? So I'll just just ping me. Let me know. I'll jump in for you. Okay.
0: Okay. Perfect.
1: Awesome. So tell us a little bit about yourself. And um, it's kind of hard because sometimes in the introduction, people leak what they're going to nerd out about. So if that so happens, if you happen to disclose what nerds you out during your introduction, I won't you know withhold points or anything where it's not a competition um but we've had some really good introductions and people you know baited everyone along and like didn't disclose what nerded them out until i asked that question but then other ones just like the first thing they said is like well tom we're going to talk about this today so you know just do do it however you wish
0: Okay. (laughs) Okay. No pressure. Um, so I got into this field that I'm in now, um, starting out, you know, in my career, I was a go getting people pleaser working in public health and healthcare. And while there, I hated honestly, the way I looked and felt. And for me, that was so confusing and aggravating because A, I knew what health was, or at least I thought I did. And B, I am a workhorse. So I was actively working to get to where I wanted to be. And yet I would wake up most mornings, look in the mirror and not look that way. And it was frustrating because I was doing the work, but it was also frustrating because I had a desire to look different. I wanted to look like the women I saw on magazines and on TV, and if I'm being 100% honest, which is kind of my deal, (laughs) is I wanted to be happy. And I had equated getting thinner with being happy. Because when you looked at my life externally, I checked all the boxes. I I worked in a big city. I moved out of Indiana into a big city. Like I was hanging out. I was doing the things. I had the boyfriend, blah, blah, blah. But I was internally not fulfilled. And because the only external thing that was missing was getting to the weight I had always desired, I thought, okay, that's the linchpin. I'm going to go there. And so I was actively trying, like I said, to get there. And I did what anyone who tries to lose weight or drop weight does. I did the calorie in, calorie out method. I was trying to always outrun French fries and wine that I drank the night before. And I was working out and doing cardio over and over and over again, sometimes one to two, sometimes two times a day to just really get myself to that body i expected it to to give me and of course as i did that like anyone who's ever done that it works until it doesn't and then i was always back to the place where i started and it was just so aggravating because i lived my world in health and i couldn't figure out what i couldn't do the thing that i was selling and sharing with people. And to make a long story short, I essentially left the East Coast and moved back to Indiana and I had some breathing room. And during that breathing room, I realized that you know, the things that I was doing didn't quite work. Um, because at the time, like I'd been working in public health, as I mentioned, I started to go to this thing called the Institute for Integrated Nutrition, which was a health coaching program that literally everyone said, don't go to, you just finished your grad school at Tufts University School of Medicine. Like you have worked multiple, like you multiple years in the public health healthcare sector. You still have student loans, like don't go to this thing. And I was like, thank you for your advice, but I'm going to do it anyways. And so I went and my whole world got rocked. I started to learn that essentially health looks so much different than what I had bought into. And honestly, what I had sold in the public health arena. And when I figured that out for me, so, so much changed, right? So much like the way I started to to show up in the world, the way I started to eat, the way I started to uh, move my body. And it was fantastic, dot, 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 until it wasn't, because I would start to have success. And then everyone around me or everything I read around me would say, nah, you're doing it wrong. Nope, that's not how you actually lose weight. That's not how you get healthy. And so things that would work, I would stall out on. And then I would lean into things that didn't work and dig in because I thought subconsciously health was supposed to be hard and when I finally shed all those layers said screw it I feel good I'm gonna let feeling good lead the way of of me as a person and me and my body it was like (laughs) it was like the seas parted I, I my I lost weight without trying I got sane I make the joke that's not really a joke that my mom started to like to be around me like things really felt great inside my body and it was It was so much more than that, though, because I also not only achieved the looks that I wanted, but I gained this whole other perspective that, like, I am the expert on me, and feeling good is actually the driver of health, and when you can listen into your body, it's going to give you those cues to get you from point A to point B. And so that is how I arrived now talking to you um, as a workplace wellness expert, because what I Nerd out on to answer the question is what I nerd out on is how to get people well, how to get people feeling great in their body, not only nerding out on the science of health, but on the science of behavior change. Because, like so many people, I have started and stopped things, started and stopped things, started and stopped things. And when it came to health, I thought understanding those nuances were really really important because we it's not that we don't know to eat more vegetables it's that we can't get ourselves to eat vegetables for two, two weeks plus right and so yeah that's that's my that's my origin that's my origin story job
1: sorry yeah it's like you we're not because we're trying to get good sound quality we don't have the video on um but i'm picturing you wearing like a cape and like very superhero-ish right now, like your origin story, I think a lot of people can relate to because they have this vision of themselves and there's the probably varying degrees of how motivated they are to actually get there. But even with a lot of motivation, there's obstacles and barriers in their way because of the conflicting information in how you go about Achieving wellness. So I, as you kind of shared, like you would get started on something, and then you would read a piece of information that would take you a completely different direction. And it just felt like this constant, um, up and down roller coaster of like, I'm doing good, I'm not. I'm doing good. I'm not. And people can't really endure that for a long period of time. So it's easy to give up. So I think you sharing, like you went through that same kind of thing of like, yeah, I've tried this, that, and I remember being confused. And I remember feeling frustrated, thinking I was doing the right thing to find out I wasn't, or then to think I wasn't to then later on realize I was, gosh, man, what a head game. So I, I can relate to that.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's really confusing out there. And when you Google, you can find anything that uh, that goes with the bias in which you're Googling or the way that you want to lean. Because, because nutrition science, honestly, it's pretty bad. It's because it's so hard to recall what you ate. And that's a lot of the gold standard right now within nutrition science is we're not able to feed everyone, like set them in a randomized controlled trial and like, spoon feed them their meals instead We're asking people to recall what they ate. And I honestly can't remember what I ate two days ago, let alone, I'm like trying to think like, what did I eat for breakfast yesterday? And this is what I do for a living. So the science out there, it is all over the place because of the way that some of the methods are done. And also because of the funding that gets put in to certain studies by certain groups. And so I tell people that if you are confused you were supposed to be like that is the game. And I don't think that's fair because getting healthy isn't nearly as hard as we all have been sold. And I just want to give people that freedom that you don't have to bang your head against the wall to get healthy. It's simple steps that take that include massive action. But when you do that, you can transform your entire body in two years, which is actually a drop in the bucket when you think about the fact that you'll probably live 70 to 80.
1: Yeah, I think that was a great way to kind of summarize this. You're going to feel the change before you see the change. And I think a lot of people have opinions about how they should look and appear. And what you're saying is, well, you'll, you'll achieve that plus some. So beyond that, there's intangibles that maybe you didn't realize existed other than, you know, fitting a pair of jeans or having a physical, you know, the physical appearance you desire, but you're going to have energy and attitude and capabilities in some ways like a superpower that you didn't know existed. So there's a lot of pressure on us as humans. Um, in in the roles that we play either has a leader or someone who's expected to produce a certain outcome, has an operator, or even, you know, a neighbor or a parent, you know, there's all these roles that we play and there's expectations that go with each of those. So we keep ourselves really busy trying to fulfill all those things and you just don't have enough energy to do it all. And that that energy comes from truly how well and happy you are. And I think when you're in that state, like energy never really becomes an issue.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with that. And when it comes to the thing I always want to add is we have as a society equated thinness with health, which isn't true, right? Like you can be thin and not healthy. We have seen that multiple times. And the reality is, is we have, conditioned ourselves to believe our body is a math equation. And it's super simple. And this is a complex being. And so weight loss, or I should say fat is actually a survival mechanism for your body. And so before it can drop that off, it needs to literally feel safe and repair and do all the things internally before it's even willing to drop the weight nine times out of 10, unless you starve yourself. And that is why it takes so long and why you feel good first. And I just wish that as a society, we were willing to embrace feeling good because that should be enough reason to move into that direction. But like, I find that we always expect the other shoe to drop, we know, we just don't want to fully embrace that feeling good is enough, but like joy is the way it's so corny. It's so trite. It's so woo, but guess what? It's also so freaking true. So um that just, I just wish more people knew that and would be okay with the fact that it takes time to get what you want, especially when you put 30, 40, 50 years getting the, the, the effect you didn't want.
1: Yeah, I think what you'd said about relating fitness with wellness, I think people um, expect because they've achieved maybe a certain status in running a 5k or a mini marathon or, you know, some endurance activity. So we'll take my journey, for example, I ran in college, I did marathoning after it, I transitioned to triathlon and eventually completed an ironman so i did ironman in like october of 2018 and that was an just an amazing day and i'm thankful that i had a great support crew to allow me the time to prepare for it and when i was on the struggle bus during the race that same support crew was there not letting me quit so i finished it and like i was like oh man i'm I'm super fit. Well, my BMI was like 26.2, so I was classified as overweight, and even with 100-mile bike rides, 20-mile runs on the weekend, I, for some reason, wasn't losing weight, and like somewhere in it all, like I still felt really stressed out and unhappy. Some pe- some part of me wasn't completely whole, and I'm up, like you said, I'm a intricate individual there's bits and pieces to me that all add up to a complete whole well my relationship with my work wasn't filling my cup and i was ignoring that sensation and you know so i i thought i was well and i eventually caught on to i've got to make a change with the work i'm doing it filled my cup once i was really passionate about it and now you know we've already kind of got the flywheel going like it's no longer about creating and inspiring it's about continuing and sustaining and like yeah I, that's truly important but that's not like what charges my battery and gets my nerd going so you know i had to realize like i, I got to get out of that comfort zone and i need to go out and venture out on my own and try to meet organizations and get that part of their journey started where it's all about building and creating and inspiring and starting them on their improvement journey. So, you know, as soon as I made that change, all that stress I'd been ignoring kind of came out and I had a lot of anxiety and was just like completely aware that I was not healthy or well because I wasn't managing my stress and I wasn't practicing good mental health. Like physically, I was an animal. Like I just did a 140 mile race, but mentally, emotionally, things were frayed. And I didn't do any work on those things until I realized, hey, this is, all of these things have to work together for you to be truly happy. And if you can be in that state, things do come really easy.
0: Yeah, they they and they come fast. And that's why I tell people a lot, your world is on your plate. So Janine Groth tagged that first. It's I'm not that brilliant. She is, and but it's the idea that what you when you the way you eat the way you um, the the promises you make or break to yourself with with regards to food you can see that in other aspects of your life. It's just a physical manifestation of what's happening. And I when I think of when I think about how people work to get to wellness, right? We're always trying to outrun our way to it. And it's like, no, you are this holistic being that has to manage your stress, that has to sleep, that has to yes, move, but also has to eat well and be fulfilled. Like I have a wheel that I look at all the time for what I think makes holistic health. And I I believe it's food, stress, movement, community, purpose, and spirituality. That makes a whole person. But we like to compartmentalize and say, well, the person that they are at work is not the person that they are at home. But the reality is you are that person through and through. It can be different personalities. it can You can show up a little bit different, but you are going to carry this stuff with you because you can't just like shed everything, right? And then show up and then shed everything again and then show up. That would be way too exhausting. Uh, and we're already a pretty tired society.
1: So I want you to read back to us that definition of holistic health, because I thought it was a complete picture of all the things that individuals need to be aware of that kind of contribute to happiness. You're in there. I like to say it's the multiple relationships you have. So you talked about what you eat. That's what is your relationship with food? Or uh, we had an episode that aired just recently about mental wealth, which is about your relationship with money. And I think money sometimes can be a stressor. So what's your relationship with money? You said spiritual. So what's your relationship with your faith? So there were some other things you said in there that I tried to grab my pen and write down. Uh, So the human brain can like only capture and retain like three pieces of information at a time. And I think I heard five. So I missed two of them. Can you rewind
0: yeah. So I have food, stress, movement, community, purpose, and spirituality. And a, and to answer if people are like, I don't know what my purpose is because I feel like that's thrown around all the time. Your purpose is just to probably like nine people out of 10 listening, your purpose is to do something and then teach it. There you go. <laughs> like that is probably like not what when I say teach it is like to help others do it so whether it's teaching people how to to be a great partner teaching people how to uh, run a hospital teaching people how to underwater basket weave I don't know but just I, I just know that that's thrown around and people are like oh, I don't know my purpose and it's like yeah you probably do and spoiler it's probably to help people learn how to do something that you know how to do really well
1: I think that relationship with work is a big piece because a lot of people, uh, I was one of those individuals who was on a great trajectory. I was in leadership, leading a team of consultants, helping work on the biggest and the most important projects within the organization. And, you know, that was kind of what I thought I was meant to be doing. I thought that was success. And I realized that, you know, that was fun and it it, to some point was gratifying you know very um I was very grateful for it but I think what I learned was that wasn't to my greatest skill set like mine is convincing people to do things they don't think they're capable of doing and that is truly transforming their culture to um be an a machine that produces excellence so aligning everyone within the organization around a vision or a shared goal, and then helping everyone understand how they contribute to it. And then if there are barriers that exist in their way, giving them the tools they need to break those barriers down. And while I was in my previous role, like that was The environment we were working within like the first three, four years of my career. Well, once we gave individuals these problem-solving abilities and we gave them a voice to where they felt safe to talk about the problems that got in their way to contributing to the organization's overall mission, once that skill was pretty well saturated we weren't really necessary anymore because we were there to teach and inspire and get the ball rolling. And then at that point, they can keep the ball rolling for themselves. And that's where I realized, you know, we've got them over the hump and they're well on their way. And I started to miss that the challenge of convincing and inspiring and coalition building. And that's where I realized I wanted to go out and help organizations that had no idea that they should be doing stuff like this. So I think, you know, my relationship with work, it's, you got to constantly be assessing it and say, is this, you know, still making me happy. And is this playing to my strengths? And is this the best way I can serve? And I think that's really where I felt frustrated in my work is I didn't feel, feel like I was completely serving the way that I could, could. And I think a lot of people, especially high performers, like they don't like to just be sit, sitting on idle and not moving forward And that's where I started like, oh, okay, like my skill and the way I serve is on the very front end and the initial steps of an improvement journey. And other people, the way they serve is to sustain and organize and hardwire things. And that's just not me. And I was totally not being myself. Like I was trying to be detail oriented and write project plans and think about ways to sustain. And it just wasn't. Working for me, and I just had to assess my relationship with work and make a decision about it.
0: I just, I love that. I, I'm so grateful you shared that because it's so true. Everyone does. Everyone who who assesses where they want to be at work always ends up in a better spot for them, albeit sometimes scary to get there. But I did the same thing. That's how I got to the like. That's how I became initially a, a health coach. Is I actually, when I moved back to Indiana, the part of the story that feels like too long to share is, uh, but now I'm doing it, is when I got uh, back here, there's a six week lag between the job that I just quit and the job I was to start. And my friend at the time, she created this thing called a war room, which was where she started to assess what like, cause she was in between jobs as well. And she was saying like, hey, this is what I I wanna do. This is what I wanna be. well, actually more so she was writing down all the jobs that she loved, all the jobs that she hated, why she hated them, why she loved them. And I said to myself, huh, she's doing that. So her war room was like, just imagine a whole bunch of really big white post-its all over the wall. And I said, I'll do that. And I went and created a war floor. So I put all of like, you know, here's the jobs I liked. Here's the jobs I hated. Here's the jobs, uh, the things that I liked in this job. Here's the job, things that I didn't. And I mean, this went all the way back to like serving at Bob Evans. Okay. Like I wrote them all down and What I found was I loved helping people and I loved teaching people, but also I hated, like, to your like, I hated the proposals, I hated the details, I hated, uh, and maybe hate's not the right word for you, but it was for me. I didn't love all of those type of things. I just, I, I also didn't feel like I was serving in a lot of the, in the trajectory of my career. I kept moving up a ladder and that I didn't want to move up and it was like uh-oh. Only you can stop this train and so that's when I did quite a pivot from what I was doing into what I'm doing now because yes, I've worked in health for my whole career, but the health that I used to sell is drastically different than the health that I promote now and Raking with ranks for me was actually really hard because I, like I said, I'm a people pleaser and I love rules. And so I have literally had to find my voice and just really work to cultivate what I believe to be true in a way that can cut through a lot of the noise. And my husband has dubbed me the radical middle, like just trying to cut through all the extremes that actually sits within the, the wellness space.
1: I- I love that that idea of being in the middle. Like there's there's these extremes, and and on those extremes, there's good in both, right? But there's also like blind spots within both of those extremes. And I think someone who tries to be balanced about what let's take the best of both of those extremes and try to bring them to center, and benefit from a more centered or holistic. Type of view of this instead of this versus that why can't we be both and I think that really what you kind of shared there that was something that helped me as I left a very secure job to try to venture out on my own was like it were these two extremes I was trying to be you know live in both of these ends and that just wasn't possible like I was trying to do it all and I just had to realize, like, I have limits, I'm human, and I have to pick and choose where where I want to focus my energy. And so, you know, the, I just had to let, let go of some things. And I think you're in living in the middle, you're not trying to resist anything or hold on to anything, you're just trying to understand it all and make a choice of what works best for you.
0: And that's the game of life, right? And But it's so hard for myself and probably others, like surrendering and letting go and being like, hey, I'm going to do me. What should be the easiest thing in the world to do is, I would make the argument, one of the hardest things in the world to do because everybody's got an opinion and the people with the most, with the biggest opinions tend to be the people that share four walls with you or or share cubicle walls with you.
1: Mhm. That definitely there was a lot of fear around if I were to embrace who I wanted to be or like who I innately already was but had like buried or hidden and let that come out. Um those people who liked me because I was because of the mask I was wearing, I was really concerned about like are they going to like me afterwards? Th- Thankfully it's done nothing but Grow and strengthen my relationship with those people. So, like, one of those things was my relationship with faith. And, like, you know, I hadn't practiced faith since I was a child. Like, something happened somewhere along the way in my upbringing where I remember we were going regularly to church and then it all just abruptly stopped. So, I like filled in the blanks as a kid as to why we stopped going. And I tried to, you know, along the way find a home where I felt a sense of belonging. And I just could never find it. And I was like, I don't know if organized practice of faith in church is is how I want to express my spirituality. So like, and that was the only option, or that at least that's what I thought was the only option. And then my wife encouraged me to go and check out the national parks and to go out and be among nature. And I'm like, Carolyn, like how cool can Yosemite be like we're outside all the time running and training and I'm always in in nature and like nature has never really inspired me in that way. And man, I was such a, a dummy. Uh, so when we went, I was on a project in San Francisco and we took the four hour drive to Yosemite. And as soon as we got on the floor, like I felt a connection and just like this energy that I had never experienced before and I was like, so what it, just like peeled back some layers of onion and I came across a book where someone had said like, you, you have a creative license to just dis- define faith in the way that it serves you best and fills your spirit. And I was like, okay. And then I started to watch documentary on the parks and like John Muir and all of the individuals who helped to create the park movement, um, would say things like you know that there's faith in these mountains and like they even most of the parks like Zion for example is named because of the the spiritual experience of it so for me like my faith became about going to and seeing these parks and just allowing myself to sit still for a second and realize like there's greater powers at play in our universe than there than anything I can ever actually try to control for myself. So just let go of it all. And I think faith is that relinquishing of control when you realize that you're not, you're never once or in control. So that's kind of like, I, and I was concerned how, pe- I'm still concerned how people listening to this episode are like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe like Tom cho- chooses the parks and being among nature as a way to practice faith than going to church like church. It works for people, and I'm glad it's there for them. But it it didn't work for me. And when I was sitting in that seat, I felt empty, and like I was just going through the motions. Like I wasn't part of that community. I, when we passed the piece like I was just a shell. I wasn't actually exchanging my energy to anyone because I wasn't getting any energy to give while in that that space. But in the parks, man, like. You know I'm full of energy, and I can provide that energy to others because it fills my cup. You can just kind of sense that like when I talk about being in church like i I wish I loved it because i that's how I defined being a person of faith was loving going to church, but it just didn't give me the energy to give to others, and I didn't feel um, happy at church, but when I'm at the parks i I feel like I'm practicing faith and so all right, I've talked too long on that.
0: I, I'm here for it. I have chills. I am with you. I, similar story. I, I mean, I love, I love God. I, you know, it, he, she, great. But I don't find it in church. And I also remember I, like, eighth, ninth grade, that was it. I was done with church. Like, I could, I could barely bring myself back. And I don't think I, went back for, um, I would say, I mean, I probably haven't gone back for about a couple of years. And when I did go, I remember going and the church I went to was great and it served its purpose for me, but it was, I'm with its nature, being outside, being present. Uh, I have my own routines on how I connect. And I really, it really does upset me when someone says that there's only one way to be a faithful person. Because that's like saying there's only one way to do a good job. There's only one way to uh, get healthy. There's only one. No, there's not. We look different. We speak different. We believe. Like, there are so many avenues to that piece. And, I, like, there is a spiritual experience when you're in the mountains. I remember hiking Machu Picchu. So I did the four day hike. And I remember very vividly sitting. Looking into these mountains, and all I could think was, "How can you not believe? How can you not believe this is that's not a judgment on someone else if that doesn't want to believe, blah blah blah. but for me, that was my experience and it, I when I'm on a mountain there's it's like there's nothing more. I don't need anything else like I'm there, I'm present, I believe. and so i I applaud you sharing that and I feel very strongly that spirituality matters for your health because it is huge from a letting go standpoint but it's up to you what it feels like it could be reading the Bible every day right it could be going to church every Sunday but it also could be getting real gross on a mountain staring over a cliff into a sunset there's there's no right or wrong way to do it and I wish that in society we we don't we're so black and white about these things like all things yet all of us live in the gray and prefer the gray but it's like when we get into this place of uncertainty or we get scared or whatever happens we're like this is how it is and it's like it was never like that ever also you just started going to church like two years ago so how are you going to come at me (laughs) like i'm not doing the right thing so uh yeah I, i i feel there's something there's something for everyone and it's up to you to find it, but you, you'll you find it if you want to. And I just always think that that is how we should go about living this life is, yes, there are bad things. Yes, there are evil things. But for the most part, it's not my business how you find your God, spirit, divine, whatever. If you find it, though, and you want to share it with me, okay. I'm here. Like I want to listen because I'm I'm just really curious about that stuff.
1: Yeah. I love kind of what what you'd said about this idea that black and white exists. And it, it does. There are those polarities, but it's really, really hard to be all one or the other. And I think just listening to this conversation, we're reflecting back on it, like you talked about that concept of being in the middle. I'm realizing that I'm one of those people who had to learn to embrace the gray that you know there's ambiguity and there's uncertainty and that's actually life like it's not cut clean and dry and it's always one way it's messy and it's chaotic and you know if you're expecting it to be organized and orderly you're you're fooling yourself that there's actually no fun in that way in in living life in that way at least You know, I'm having more fun now than I was when I was living it in a way that was black and white, like go to school, get this degree, get this job, earn this income, purchase this house, you know, achieve, achieve, achieve. It was like a checklist. And they were all these things that like, they defined success and failure, black and white, versus trying, learning, experimenting, and taking that next step forward. That, that to me is like how I've dealt with my anxiety, which was, became, um abruptly onset after I left that world of black and white, and because i was got I got so used to having structure and a pattern to living that once I went out and that pattern was gone, like oh it scared the pants off me. <laughs> But it gave me this opportunity to peel back some layers and say, like, you're not well, Tom. You were fooling yourself if you thought you were. You're having anxiety. You weren't experiencing joy at work. You had no relationship with your faith. You weren't eating well. And now is the opportunity for you to assess all those things and find out why. And, you know, I'm glad that my wife said we're going to the park and wouldn't let me say no and because that gave me this experience that helped me become more complete and have a touchstone that made me feel connected to who I was
0: and that's what i think health does i mean that's why i'm so passionate about it because when you eat well when you move well when you sleep well you start to feel good and you start to in I always say, like, hear the message. Like, if you have a muddied, a muddied funnel, like a muddied channel, you can't hear the call. You just can't. But when you start to take care of yourself, start to embrace this body that you were put here in, then you're able to open up and hear your next step so that you can continue to take the journey towards your path. That is why I care so much. It's I, I don't care if you have a six-pack. I don't really care if you lose 50 pounds. I do, I mean, I do if you do. But for me, the reason I get up is because I believe that helping people get healthy allows them to reach their full potential. And when I say that, the thing that I often reference is Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? At the bottom is psychological. At the top is self-actualization, i.e. self-fulfillment and psychological includes food so we were told very early on we need a great base to get to where we want to go and the way that we have been marketed to with food the way that we have been and i don't think it's humans fault per se or at least the actual individual the way that the divisiveness we have around food the uh, black and white nature all of that that has inhibited our ability to get to to the best version of us and i wake up every day trying to help people understand taking care of you is the way and food and your health is a piece of that because you're here to literally live your best life. That's, that's why you're here. And I think that I can help in that capacity through food and wellness and sleep and all the things, all of those type of things.
1: I think that's brilliant. And the reason I wanted to do on this episode is because those parts are um, areas that I wish I had expertise to help people on. And I'm realizing um, it's important to talk about and make sure people are addressing those needs so that they are capable to show up and belong to a group of people and to work with those individuals to achieve more and to serve in a greater magnitude. And, you know, my focus is the relationship with people in their work. And I've seen that if someone shows up day in and day out, and their job is just kicking their butt, so the processes are poorly designed or frustrating to work with, you know, that's a tough environment to, be positive in and that you know can wear on a person's psyche so i think you know it can either erode a person's confidence in how well and um great they can actually be or it can actually accelerate it so i've seen individuals who like have come into improvement events and like they're just they look defeated and you give them these tools and these techniques and you let them talk about and share their ideas of how they can make things better and like they just light up so I think, you know, in that hierarchy, it's it's all this building effect of, well, you got to have those basic and that psychological safety needs. But beyond that, you got to have community and a sense of belonging in order to fully actualize and be what you said is the best version of yourself. So like in some ways, you have to be pretty selfish so that you can be selfless. If you're not taking care of yourself and doing what makes you happy, you're never going to be able to show up for others. And we need you to bring your ideas, your passion, your energy, your experiences into the world because only you can do those things. Like you're uniquely individual and there's beauty in that. And for us as a society or organizations or whatever venue is appropriate to actually be able to make change, we need everyone to show up and contributing to design what that change is gonna, how that change is gonna unfold, and where that change is gonna end. So wh- where are we going? And I think people can't right now. They're in certain, I've seen in certain environments where they just don't have the basic needs met, or the sense of belonging, or the safety to actually contribute to change. In you know, it's it's quite sad sometimes to see. But if you can create all those things. Transformation can happen, and it is so awesome to see unfold.
0: That's why I feel like there's so many avenues to being well. Because if you're seen at work, if you're seen in a community, you can start to see yourself and then want to take care of yourself. And I, I, I know that when I was on my health journey, a big piece of it, I thought if I dropped the weight, I could be seen. Right, I could be seen as the person I was, but the the irony of course is you have to work to be that person now so that you can and and be seen now so that you can be seen then it's not like something is going to present itself and all of a sudden you're there it's like you you've got to be putting in the work now uh, as like from like a company perspective given what you're saying like putting the work now to allow people to have their voice, to speak out, to have conversations with managers or colleagues so that when you do have an event or a crisis or whatever it is, those people have already had so much practice speaking out and working together and being part of that community. And I just feel like there's so much of that that's really needed because we spend most of our time at work. So if you can't be you there we got some problems, we got some problems, right? We're going to have a a workforce of unhealthy people, which is, I mean, frankly, that's, that's what we're seeing right now.
1: I, yeah, I'm glad the conversation is moving a little bit this way about how wellness allows you to show up in all instances of your life. And, you know, work is a big piece of people's life. Like you said, there's people who spend 40 to 60 hours within their workplace and, how you know, if that piece of the puzzle is incomplete, you know, there's suffering that's occurring. And so we need to give people that space to where they can be more present and experience more joy in that role. And if they have those things, then they can give those things to whomever they're serving. So I think it was um, the, I hire a, a big institute for healthcare improvement recently published a white paper on the importance of psychological safety for nurses because if if they don't have that safety, that sense of belonging, how could they offer um, compassion and true caring to patients? So they looked at, you know, one of the reasons healthcare is struggling right now is all the events of harm or all the rising costs is some ways traced back to the relationship that the nurses have with their work and we've somewhat asked nurses to um, distance themselves from the people they're serving. And some of it is, you know, it's pretty hard day in and day out to work in a space where you're seeing people face these, these challenges and all that suffering. So I get the need to build walls around yourself when you're working in a space like that. But if those walls get too thick, you'd be, you risk depersonalization and no longer are those people in a bed people. They're just part of your job. And so you've got that piece of it, you know, but then there's also the complexity of care and the need to document the care and all the technology that surrounds the care that creates even more distance between it. So I think, you know, if we want nerd, we, I think if we want healthcare and improve, we have to improve, uh, how nurses experience their work. And we need to invest in them so that they can be well. And if they can be well, they can give wellness to the people they're serving. It's just an opinion of one. But I think it's an... Well, I, don't
0: think it's- <laughs> I don't think it's an opinion of one. I actually have, uh, as you're talking, my my friend, uh, Sarah Harker, she has a a business. It's called the Healing Healthcare Project. And it's all about helping nurses Come back to themselves because they are, they're among the front lines. They're the people who are really, I have found in my, when I go to the hospital, they're the people that are really spending time with me. They're the people helping me not just get like, it's not writing me prescription per se, but like getting the medication in my hand, making sure that I feel like I'm uh, sane enough to take it, that I have the capacity and the ability to do what has been asked of me by the doctor. And so, those women and men are key players in our healthcare system. And I, I love what you said. And I think that that needs to be a a more prominent conversation because they take care of us. They take care of your parents, your friends. Like that's who you see the majority of the time, or at least in my experience, having been in the hospital, more often than I probably would have liked to be.
1: Yeah, if you could take any sector, any industry, the person who's actually uh transacting the the point of service between the business and the customer. So in in healthcare it's the nurse or the MA or environmental services or whatever the role but they're the ones who actually interact with on a regular basis the patient or patient family so airline industry different roles but they're the ones who look into the eyes of the person they serve day in and day out and they those are the ones that Give your product and services to that customer, and if they don't, if they don't have anything for themselves, how do you expect them to give to someone else? Like if they don't, if they don't have compassion, if the leaders aren't compassionate to them, how would you expect them to give compassion to the customer? So it's kind of like this trickle effect. And I think just focusing in on that exchange and how do you, whoever's in that, trying to serve someone else, you have to serve them so that they can serve others. And I think that's a big gap in organizations that they don't invest in making that person well so that they can show up for others and I think wellness especially now with COVID-19 is a topic now that's finally um, something I think people are willing to listen to because you know a lot of in a lot of our history like we took healthcare for granted like it's always going to be there for us and if anything bad ever happens you know it's there for me, but right now, you know individuals are fearful to go into the healthcare setting due to the risk of COVID nineteen and getting infected. So now they're like awakened to oh my gosh, like it's on me. I I have to invest a little in my own wellness. So I think you know the a conversation about wellness right now is very timely. And I don't want to just say, "Hey, it's important to start focusing on wellness." But I do want to leave people with a couple of ideas and things that they can start doing to become more well and more. And I think wellness and happiness, to me, and I've realized now, go hand in hand. Mm, yeah, me.
0: I always say health and ha- like I say to be healthy and happy. I don't. I I really don't believe you can have one without the other. You can look healthy. Your body can, you can have rock hard abs, but if you're not happy, then it, it doesn't, they don't go together, right? Like there's no purpose in keeping all of that. And so I, I just, I think when we think about steps for wellness, a thing that I just say like all the time, and actually I'm putting out a video on LinkedIn about it after this podcast is the first thing I always say when it comes to wellness is decide you want to do it like really decide you want to do it. Because if you don't want to do it and you keep saying you want to do it, it's going to be harder as the process goes down the line. Because when you break promises to yourself, particularly about health, it trains the brain, right? To break those promises, to yourself when it comes to to your overall health? And Tom, I just realized that I started to just dive into steps. Is this bad? Do you, do you want me to like like um, uh, lay out a couple or am I, is, is that okay? Can I lay out a couple?
1: Yeah, some of those that you think um, are appropriate to, to share with individuals. I think, you know, there's baby steps and then there's leaps and bounds. So, you know, if we can talk kind of about that I love where you just started is it's that that decision to do something different I say the same thing when I lead organizations through transformation where they're trying to change process or embrace a challenge or be comfortable in an environment that's uncertain they they first have to make the decision that they're willing to change and it you have to realize that that's an individual thing, like all change starts with the individual's decision to do something different. And I think what you just said there, you know, that you're talking about wellness and when I talk about that, it's the decision to just, you know, embrace uh, the challenge and actually find joy in in the challenge.
0: Yeah, it's amazing how these things are so parallel which then brings me to the second step. I, I would recommend for people is to write out their goals. So we do a lot of smart goals in the workplace, but we never do it with our health. And how do you know where you're going if you don't have goals and metrics to track where you're going? We throw out a goal, I wanna lose 50 pounds, and that's it, that's the goal. That is a really hard goal to keep going after when that's a two, and that's a, you know, a year, two year process, you've got to lay out, I think, personal opinion, month one, month three, month six, month 12 goals. You got to know, yes, long term vision where you're going, but also what do you by the end of the month, by the end of the quarter, by the end of um, half a year and the end of the year want to be? what is your definition of success when it comes to health because that will then allow you to take the necessary steps you need to take for your path to health it could be water it could be movement it could be vegetables um and with that then the third step i would say to people is to choose crowding out instead of restriction so in health we have this huge uh condition and, and there is some truth to it right but a huge conditioning on how we have to We go, I'm going to not eat sugar. I'm going to not do this. I'm going to not drink. I'm going to not sleep in bed versus like, or, you know, sleep in bed late versus I am going to eat vegetables. I am going to move my body 30 minutes a day. We want to like restrict, restrict, restrict. But if the idea is freedom, which I think is why most people want to get healthy at the root of it, freedom to to move their body how they want to and to like live the life that they they envision themselves. You can't get freedom through shackles. So moving into a crowded, like a a crowding out capacity is how I I frame it is really helpful. So adding in the vegetables, adding in water, adding in movement, or just saying, I will not, I cannot, I won't. Uh, And then from a very tactical standpoint, just like base, like wellness components of it, you start with food. I mean, you can move for sure, keep moving if you're moving, but when you, if you're really looking to burn fat, if you're really looking to uh, drop weight, it's 80% food, 20% movement. I'm going to say that again. It's 80% food, 20% movement, and any good trainer will tell you that. And so you've really got to hone in on the, on the vegetables, the higher quality fats, the quality proteins, that type of stuff so that you can get the, the movement and momentum that, that you want. So I would say decide, write goals, crowd out, and then focus a lot of your efforts on food if weight loss and fat burn is part of your concern.
1: And speaking of food, um, know that you have habits, right? Like the diet you've maintained most of your life don't think that it's going to be easy to undo. And, you know, I think one of the things that get in people's way is some of the healthier foods um, may not be the most tasteful foods, Mm. at least the first time you uh, encounter them. And I think one of the things that I had to get used to was that um, your palate was trained to taste food in a certain way like salt or sweetness and whatnot like so if you like eat a kiwi for example but you're used to eating chocolate or a certain other uh, refined sugar like the kiwi does not taste very sweet by comparison um but the more and more you eat more kiwis and less of the refined sugar like the the sweetness of it comes forward And remember like carrots oh god you couldn't pay me to eat a carrot because like it just tastes bland and like real stringy when you chewed it up. But once I started to eat more and more carrots, I realized that they're, they have a, a natural sweetness to them. So I think for people who are embarking on food, just give it some time and don't just try it once and say like that food's not for me. It, because it, how, do you have any insights on how many times you have to experience a food before you can actually make that decision.
0: So It takes about three weeks to change your palate. So three weeks eating a, a healthier, um, a healthier diet, a, a cleaner diet is going to make the carrot taste sweeter. It's going to make the um, broccoli taste less bitter and all of those things. But to get there, what I recommend is yes, there's a lot of truth to what you said and my Your carrots were my beets. Like I love beets now, but I hated them so much. And But the way that it changes, and this is a really important point for people, is to eat healthy food that you like initially. A lot of us go and eat things like salads that we hate. Like my client, one of my clients, she hates salads, hates them. So we're not going to make salads for her to eat. But she loves cooked kale and she loves... Sustainable pasture raised chorizo, like she, she likes sweet potatoes. So those are the things that we're building meals around. Making like for me, I didn't li- I didn't eat more beets and like them. I ate quinoa, which is in the beet family, and then I started to eat shard, which is also in the beet family. And the more I ate those two things, the quicker it was, or rather, I don't even know how quick it took, but probably like six months. I started liking beets, so it was a it was a progress for that because you're not gonna go from I hate broccoli, too. I like broccoli in three weeks. But if you like spinach, eat spinach for three weeks. And then eventually it will continue to move your palate down if you stick with it.
1: Yeah, it was such a bizarre type uh, reprogramming that I remember experiencing. And it, like here in the Midwest, we have um, challenges in our food supply chain to get, you know, open access to fruit the way that like California does. So I remember going to California and eating tomatoes out there and only paying like, you know, a certain amount of money for like four of them, like maybe four tomatoes out there. So a pound and a half was like $2. And here I'd, I was like, Oh, those were great. So I bought tomatoes here. They were more expensive and less tasty. So, you know, I think here in the Midwest, like access to produce, we have it, uh, but it's, more costly and sometimes not as flavorful. Um, but, you know, still make the investment in those uh, because, you know, I think that um, the more you do it, the taste is there. So that's where I was like, was it because I was in California that it tasted sweeter or is it because I was reprogramming? So, like, initially, like, I thought, oh, our produce here sucks. Well, the thing was, So I'm saying this is like what I'm realizing was, well, it wasn't that it was more flavorful out there. It was that my taste buds were changing. And so when I came home and ate tomatoes that were accessible here in Indiana, they were just as flavorful. It was just that timing. It was almost like an overnight sensation because I had been doing the work to like reduce my sweet tooth craving for refined sugar and to want more of an apple or a kiwi or a tomato instead. And like, once it happened, It everything did just taste so much better and more flavorful as a result of giving it time.
0: Yeah, I mean, same for me. I can't eat, like, if I eat, like, a candy bar, you know, a little Snickers or a fun size pack because I'm human, too, I, like, take a bite, and then I'm like, oh, that's right, that's why I don't eat these. Like, it's so sweet and sugary, I can't handle it. But I have to point out to people who are like, all right, I'm in the Midwest. We have farmer's markets that have some of the most bomb- produce on the planet. Like my favorite tomatoes come from growing places, Indy. I could eat those cherry tomatoes all dang day. They are so delicious and they're available at Broaderville Farmer's Market and Garfield uh, Garfield Park Farmer's Market. So some of the best produce you will have is being grown here. And as you switch your palate, I actually recommend you start with Farmer's Market because that's where you're going to get some of the most flavorful produce and items out there like our apples are fantastic like Indian apples are fantastic but we tend to get things from the grocery store which actually don't taste as good as stuff that is plucked right off of the farm and brought in you know one to two days later
1: great insights to for individuals that are going to focus on wellness and start their start working through the relationship with food i think the farmer's market was like Uh, foreign territory to me and I had worked downtown for a long time and on Market Street like I would walk through there and just you know I didn't appreciate the uh, value of a blueberry or a tomato at the time because like I was going past that to go get a double cheeseburger at City Market which was a delicious cheeseburger but like at the time like I just didn't prioritize food the way that i should have now i'm kicking myself like man like if i was down there now oh all the you're right our farmers markets here and in the in the midwest so michigan like i just came back from michigan they have food stands on the side of the road and asparagus is in season right now and holy smokes like we ate asparagus like three three out of the six meals we had while we were in michigan
0: yeah, it's. I mean, that that type of food is just it's night and day. And I would say too, for people who can't get to the farmers market, there's a lot of really great CSAs or uh, um, organizations and companies that actually deliver market, uh, what is it, uh, farmers market food and produce to your door. So I I know it can feel more expensive at the start, but listen. And this is the, this is the and truth. You're going to pay now or you're going to pay later. There's no, like, there is no in between. You're going to pay now or you're going to pay later. And I would say I'd rather pay now because it's actually way cheaper when you really think about the grand cost uh, of, of your health in the long run.
1: Thanks for sharing that. The one thing I do want to pull out of you before we bring this to a close, I've already celebrated the awesome work you're doing through the content you you create and share. Um, And one of those things I remember seeing was a video and a conversation about how you start your day. So thanks for talking us through these steps and tons of valuable and actionable information in there. And the one, the other thing I want to leave people with is your message about how you start your day matters. So can you give us kind of just a quick recap of starting your day off and maybe some ideas or strategies people can use to get started during the very moment they wake up, basically.
0: Yeah, of course. So for me, I think the morning is the most important for you to actually be in control of what's going on. A lot of us, we wake up, we check our phone, we scroll email, we get on Instagram we do those type of things. And essentially when we do that, we're giving someone else our day. We're saying this person's getting our attention before I give myself attention. And when you do that, you, you lose control because you're giving away your power and they're not like, they're not taking your power. You're giving it freely away because only you can give away power. They can't take it. Um, and so when I think about the morning routine or morning formula, whatever you want to call it, it's really about, What can I do to set myself up so I can get centered, reconnected with myself, and in control of my day? And this could look a thousand different ways. But if you read anything by an entrepreneur, an influencer, it's like you're waking up at 4 a.m., you're meditating by 4.01, you are drinking like 37 gallons of water by like 5.30 a.m., 30 a.m., you've done... I don't know like you've read six books it's crazy how people give you a formula for yourself when really that's just their formula because that's what grounds them and so when i think about creating your formula your morning routine it's really what are the things you can do that will ground you initially and then expand from there so my practice looks like well, as soon as i wake up so my phone goes on airplane mode at nighttime and so uh first thing in the morning i list three things I'm grateful for before I step out the bed because it takes all of about five seconds. Um then I get up, you know, drink some water, brush my teeth, and then I go into meditate and I meditate. Well first I do some movement, basic movement to wake up my spine before I sit down and meditate. And I meditate now, now, I only used to meditate for like five minutes at a time. Now I do about 20 to 30 minutes of meditation with my phone still on airplane mode. My phone is on airplane mode for the first hour of my day. And then I do some journaling. Um, I read a devotion, like a devotional type of thing. And I now currently then go and move my body. So now then I'll, I'll go to the gym um, or do a workout of some sort. It's hard to say not go to the gym during... Uh, COVID, because that's the language I typically use. But yeah, that's what it looks like gratitude, meditating, uh, journaling, uh, devotional. I read a little bit about, I read my goals almost every single morning, and then I go to the gym. And that's what mine looks like. But that is like an hour, that's like a two hour morning routine. But not everyone has that. I don't have a kid yet. So you can do that all condensed into 30 minutes if that's what you want, or you can pull out the working out and you can just read journal and take a few deep breaths with your morning. There's no there's no right or wrong way to do it. It's just important that you do things that make you feel centered and control. And if you are able to do that, then you're able to then um, move through your day in charge of it instead of letting it be in charge of you.
1: I think that was an awakening because when I was going to work day in and day out, the first thing I would do is get up and answer emails, look at people's, the calendar, and you see that my day was already structured. And, you know, I would just convince myself, well, there's no time for me today. Like I've got all this work to do. I've got all these meetings and other people's expectations I've got to meet. And like somewhere along the way, like I just lost me. And then, you know, now, that I'm out on my own and trying to do things that I didn't think was possible. Like every day I proved to myself, I'm capable of doing something that I told myself somewhere in my past I couldn't do uh, whether it's podcasting or working on a book or meditating, for example, like, you know, those things like, Oh, you know, like I could I couldn't sit still and practice mindfulness or like I told, I made up excuses in some ways. And as soon as I cleared those excuses out and I took control of how I wanted my day to unfold. My day went a lot better. Like it's very seldom now do I wake up and check email or swipe through social media, you know, those things, that's not part of my routine anymore. And I think it did, it caused my wife, like she tilted her head a little bit because it was a different morning routine than she was used to. I was getting up and I would meditate and I would write I would journal and she was used to me getting up and like getting out and running and she's like you know I miss you like and I wake up in the morning and you're gone and I said Carolyn like this is a little bit like I'm training for Ironman you know like I'm not getting up and I'm jumping on the bike and riding or running anymore I'm just training a different muscle now like my mental health requires me to get up before everyone else in the house so I wake up before the boys do because when they wake up you know I, I step into that role of being a dad so I get up and you know I, I journal and I read and I do stuff for me before I have to do stuff for others and the day I do the days I do that I'm more patient with them and more understanding of their needs versus if I wake up and just jump right into satisfying their needs I kind of kind of a crotch like I get angrier (laughs) then but so it it works which staying like I realized it was like oh my gosh like this that's so simple and so obvious I can't believe I haven't been doing it my whole life and even knowing I should do it I need reminders that you need to do it and I think your message was just timed well to where it hit me and I'm like she's right like I can't forget that like if you don't make time for you no one else is going to make time for you either
0: and I think what's really important for people to understand is you have a morning routine, whether or not you think you do. So you have habits in your morning that you always do that, that you don't think are part of a routine, but they are. And that routine, though, is your default. And I don't think that we should be living in a default type of life. So if you get up every morning, check your phone, email, scroll, that's your routine. That is your routine. And you, that means the beautiful thing is that you can change it. I just, I cringe cringe because I used to do that. And I had, people hearing this might be like, it's not that serious because that's what I used to think. And it is that serious. Like that is actually a, I don't want to say poison because that seems like way too strong, but like that really does shift the way that you approach your day when you start in that manner. Looking at people whose lives you want to have getting bad emails or emails about things you want to do like you go in defense mode and I think the best life is lived in uh, like open mode right and like proactive mode and so when you make that space for yourself you're actually signifying okay I'm going to be proactive about my day instead of default and I, for me when I think about a morning routine I'm like, people are like it's weird Listen, it's only I, like I say. I, I should tattoo this on my forehead. It's only weird until it works, and then you're gonna kill it at work, and then your husband's gonna notice, and and then your friends are gonna notice, and everyone who was making fun of you is gonna be like, "Yo, you're different. What'd you do?" And it's like, just know that that's coming. So just do the thing, because as soon as you become a more calm centered person, and everyone takes notice, they're gonna ask you for their stuff, your stuff, even though they gave you hell right during the actual process and so with the morning I just I you 10 minutes I have clients who 10 minutes is all they need they get up they drink their coffee they pour their coffee they take two like two three sips and they sit and they just journal whatever in their head for 10 minutes read something like read a like a devotional or you know like one of those books and they carry on with their day but that routine of putting yourself first of starting with you Like if you can't figure out how to do that in the morning, I guarantee if you look at your life, you're not doing it as often as you want to.
1: I think that is a great way to just kind of encourage people to just try it. Like if it doesn't work, it doesn't. But, you know, don't give up so easily either. And I like what you said, it's only weird until it works. Like, yeah, people who have formed opinions about, you know, Uh, certain things like they may think they're protecting you from looking silly and they'll, they'll, you know, um, not really support you the way that you need it during that experimentation. So find someone who is going to support you or explain it in a way so that they can support you. And it can cause a ripple effect, right? Mm -hmm. So like transforming yourself is good role modeling that's needed right now, right? So that people can look to someone who's well and say, "Well, if they if they have done it, I can do it too." So there's that looking up aspect, but then there's that also um, storytelling that kind of says, "Well, here here's my strategy," and it, we're not saying follow what worked for me, but come up with your own formula. And I think that's another. Good thing to highlight here is that if you do these things, and if it works for you, you can share what worked for you. And it doesn't mean other people are going to just adopt 100% what worked for you, but you're going to give them encouragement that they can find something that works for them too. like you'll and you may never know it. So the best thing you can do is care for yourself, because that's going to allow you to role model that, and it's really important in whatever role you play for your kids or for your spouse, or if you're in leadership at your organization, people see those things and they consume those things. And which message do you want them getting day in and day out? Show up and be in chaos and un- like not able to control your day or take a moment for yourself and try to come up with um, a plan of how you want your day to unfold
0: everyone can be an inspiration Mm. and when people embrace that I think that they'll show up differently
1: so I think we'll just say end of episode right there that was like just brilliantly said and I think that's a great way to summarize everything we've talked about is that idea that everyone could be an inspiration thank you so much for coming on to the episode and sharing your experiences and your passion and nerding out with us around wellness and happiness.
0: Uh, Thank you so much for having me. This was such a wonderful way to spend my morning.
1: Awesome. Mm -hmm. Thank you.